0: We will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. Um, as we've been going through this year, we've been going through and looking at different chapters in the Bible, uh, different chapters in the Bible that, uh, that people voted on as far as their favorite uh, chapter in the Bible. And We've been going through that. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we've had a, a couple of special Sundays, missions conference, those types of things where we were not able to get together. And then also we had um, a couple of weeks where I was unavailable, so we are off track a little bit. So if you have your list of all the chapters we're going to go through, uh, this week was supposed to be uh, Romans chapter number 15, uh, I'm sorry, 13, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. We'll probably have to skip a couple other ones to make sure we, that we can um, end on time and on track for the end of the year. But this morning we'll be looking at First Corinthians chapter 15, and why would we uh, select this as uh, one of our favorites or most important chapters of the bible and, and once again i always preface that or or follow up by saying that every chapter is important every verse is important every word is important every jot and tittle is important it's all important uh, but based upon the voting of this class uh, why was first corinthians 15 uh, selected uh, well first corinthians 15 is one of these chapters in the bible that um, that is really dedicated to one topic and it's a topic of resurrection And Paul kind of sums it up like this. He says, listen, uh, if we are not raised from the dead, then we are of all men most miserable. Um, And Paul didn't pull any punches. He's saying, listen, if the truth of the resurrection is not real, if Jesus Christ did not uh, raise from the dead, if you and I don't have the hope of resurrection, then what is all this about? What's the point? Why are we doing this? Why are we coming to church on Sunday mornings? Or why do we invest time and energy and resources and, 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 and forsake or give up things that some people consider pleasurable out in the world? Why do we do all that if it's not true? And Paul says that it, if it's not true, um, that we're, that we, we're, we're hopeless. But there, but there is truth in the resurrection. And that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is all about. It's the truth of the resurrection. And we'll uh, begin reading here in verses 1 through uh, the first several verses here. Uh, Paul begins to uh, discuss this topic of resurrection, but he begins that discussion with the gospel. He says here in verses 1 through 7, he says, Moreover, brethren, I have declared unto you the gospel, and we use that word gospel, um, it's almost exclusively used in religious um, um, dialogue today, but back in these days, the gospel was just a, a, a word you'd use every day, it just meant good news. Now, now we now we've taken it uh, for good reason. There's no better news than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But whenever Paul, or whenever Paul says the gospel, um, he, he's talking about he's not he's not specifically about you know the way that we use gospel, although it's certainly contained with that. He's just saying, hey, I got good news for you. And what's that good news? That there's a resurrection. He said, "More brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. And boy, isn't that important? There's a lot of people that have heard the gospel." They've been exposed to the gospel, but they've never received or they don't stand in it today. They're standing in a lot of other things, but it's not the gospel. There's a lot of people that are standing in their performance on I'm going to be a good person. And at the end of my life, my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. And then God will declare me good, and I'll get to go to heaven. That's how some people stand in their salvation. Some people stand in their religion. They do religious ordinances, they've been baptized, they take the Lord's Supper, they join together with corporate worship, they sing songs, they tithe, they do religious things and that's where they stand. There are some people that stand in other religions, Uh, they, they believe in false gods, false idols, and that's what they stand in. But Paul commended them because he said, you've not just received it, you stand in the gospel. Now let me remind you about this church. This was not a perfect church. The church of Corinth had a lot of issues. They had a lot of sin going on. But there's one thing they did, and that was they proclaimed the gospel. And what a, what a testimony to have. Now, certainly they weren't a perfect church. There is no perfect church. If you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. Yeah. But this was a church that stood in the gospel. And that should be commended because there's so few churches now that will do that today. That will stand up and clearly proclaim the gospel. And what is the gospel? Paul tells us here in this verse. What's the gospel? Verse number two. By which also ye are saved. If you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. And here's the gospel. For I delivered unto you that first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that's the gospel. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, I I can't tell you this. I can't point to a verse and tell you this is 100% true, but this is what... Church history uh, teaches us, especially early church history, that this phrase that Paul uses here in verses 3, 4, and 5, and actually even down through verse number 7, this was a very common, uh, repeated, uh, um, I I wouldn't say it was the church covenant, but a belief of the early church that was repeated. In churches all across um, the known world at that time, they would the same way the same way that we do our scripture songs, the same way that we we sing songs out of the hymnals. They would come together and they would recite this passage. Now, why is that important? Uh, this is one of the first uh, letters that Paul wrote to the Church of Corinth. This book was written probably about twenty years after Christ was uh, was crucified. He he died and he rose again. So this is within just twenty years of that time happening when Paul wrote this, and 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 the fact that it was after. After 20 years, it was already a very common saying within the church. What, what I'm saying is this, this belief in the church that Jesus Christ died, he buried, he rose again, was from the very, very first days of the early church, and now it's being recorded in Scripture. What I'm saying is we have a very early, we have a very early writing of the resurrection of Jesus Christ being recorded. Not just in Scripture, although it is Scripture, but just historical. Historical information of Christ dying and being, uh, being raised from the dead. And what does it say here about this, this gospel? It says, the first of all, that he died. And Christ died. Christ was crucified. He was, uh, what the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah, that he was so marred, that he was so beaten, that he was so tortured, you could not even tell it was a human being. That's what the Bible tells us in, in the book of Isaiah. We see that, we see in the, in the New Testament, we read about what he went through, the scourging upon his back and the pain and in the, in the, in the, in the torment of being nailed to a cross and then being hung there to basically uh, suffocate to death. Christ died. And that is true. That there was a man that claimed to be the son of God that came to this earth and that he died. Amen. But that's not the end of the gospel. He didn't just die. The Bible Amen. goes on to say that he died, in verse number 3 at the end it says, for our sins. Amen. Amen. This wasn't a, a meaningless, pointless death. This was a death that was, that was taken upon that Jesus Christ took upon him. Now, don't misunderstand. I've heard some people say that uh, that that, that, uh, you know, that Christ died for us and that, and that our sins were applied to him. And all that is true. But don't ever misunderstand this. Christ never became a sinner while he died for our sins. The sin was placed upon him. And he paid, he paid the judgment that we owed. But he never became a sinner. He didn't die as a sinner. He died for sinners. And that's an important part of the gospel to understand that he didn't die just just to die. He died for a purpose and a meaning. He died for my sins. Amen. And somewhere on the cross, I don't I can't tell you exactly when it happened. I, I probably, it probably happened before Christ cried out, it is finished. But somewhere upon the cross, some supernatural transaction took place that all the sins of the world were paid for by Jesus Christ. All of my sins were placed upon him and that judgment that, is, that was due was paid for. That debt that I owe, that I could not pay, he paid on my behalf. And Christ died, but he died for my sin. It wasn't a Roman soldier that put him on the cross. It wasn't, a, uh, it wasn't a rebellious Jew that put him on the cross. It was my sin that put him on the cross. And so, yes, the gospel is he died, but he died for my sin. He died for your sin. That sin that you cannot pay for. This is the truth. Even if you, every day, from this point forward, every day, you lived a perfect life. You did everything perfectly. Every thought was perfect. Every motivation was perfect. Every word was perfect. Every action was perfect. You still have a whole life of sin behind you that still has to be taken care of. And how's that going to be addressed? Well, it's addressed through the cross, through Christ dying upon the cross. And all those uh, horrible thoughts I've had, all those horrible words I've said, all those horrible behaviors I've done, they've all been paid for by Jesus Christ upon the cross. that's not all the gospel is it's not just that he he died and he died for our sins but it goes on to say in verse number four he was buried and we skip over that quite a bit we don't spend a whole lot of time we talk a lot about the death and we talk a a lot about the resurrection but there was a burial and that's important it's important for a lot of reasons but two of them i'll mention this morning first of all it's important because that's what the scripture said would happen as Jesus was talking, and He said, "Just as, uh, just as uh, Jonah was in the belly of the whale, so the Son of Man shall be in the how of the earth for three days and three nights." And there's many other prophecies that you see in the Old Testament that tell us that, that uh, he would he would be buried. But not just the fact that Scripture tells us, but it's proof that he actually died. He was in the ground for three days and three nights. He was dead. He was buried. And, there's, and there's, a, there's proof that he was dead because he was in the ground for three days. There's uh, been a whole lot. Of, you don't hear this as much anymore because it's, 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 it's become so silly. It's so easy to refute it. Um, but, but back, especially like in the 50s and 60s and 70s, there was a lot of teaching that, you know, Jesus, he didn't actually die. They called it, he swooned. He just passed out. He got to the verge of death. But he didn't actually die, and so whenever he came out of the grave, people he, he thought he rose from the dead, but he really actually never died. That's, that's, some people would say that. Um, obviously, people that don't believe the Bible, people that, are, that, 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 have, that have a bias, the people that are trying to refute what the Bible says, that's, that's what they would say. But just think about that for a moment. Does that make any sense at all? If you're a disciple and uh, and you saw Jesus, and let's just say that's what happened, that he swooned for three days and three nights, and he somehow survived through, through one of the, some of the most inhumane tortures that per, that people can go through, he can resur- he can uh, show back up, uh, although he didn't die. Uh, but just think about the condition of his body, yeah. uh, everything he went through. Do you think there'd be twelve disciples saying? Let's go, Jesus. That's amazing. Look how look how great you're doing. Let's go. Let's go charge uh, hell with a water gun. Look how great you're. Look the, the shape you're in. Let's go. I mean, obviously they would see that he was he was he needed health and uh, medical attention. They could see that he had gone through an extreme uh, torture. They, they wouldn't be standing up on the day of Pentecost preaching and proclaiming that he would rose from the dead without any uh, without any uh, without suffering any kind of physical harm. Uh, they would have they would have been concerned about their friend who had come from the, the, the threshold of death itself. See, Jesus died. And whenever he appeared back before these disciples, it had such an impact on these men. It changed their entire life. I mean, if you, this is the story of Paul, a man that went from seeking to try and destroy the church and fight the church, and even got to the point where he'd actually helped participate in people being killed that were Christians. He turned from that person to someone that actually built the church up. Now, how can that happen? He saw a resurrected Christ because the resurrection was true, because you will be raised from the dead one day. And because you have that promise, Paul was able to forsake all and follow Jesus Christ. You see, he starts with the gospel. He tells them that the gospel is the death, the burial, burial in verse number four, and then he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Amen. The proof of his resurrection is in salvation. If you want to know, did Jesus Christ really raise from the dead, um, you know, there there are, uh, you know, we, and I, I love the song. that We sing a song, you know, I can't remember the name of it, uh, the name of the song, but there's a phrase in it that says, you ask me how I know he lives. And what's the answer? I love the song, but he says, I know because he lives within my heart. And boy, there's a, a, great, there's a great peace and, com- and confidence in, in those moments whenever you feel saved. But sometimes I don't feel saved. There's some days I don't feel Christ within my heart. And if my salvation is based upon how I feel in my heart, I'm in trouble. Because some days I'll be saved and some days I won't. This is what I can base my salvation upon. The historical truth that a man named Jesus Christ came to this earth. He claimed to be God. He performed miracles. He was crucified. He was buried for three days. He rose again. The people that saw him in his resurrected body completely changed their life. Completely changed the world. And today we have recorded scripture that's exactly what happened. And I can have confidence because it's a historical fact. And the, and the cherry on top is, sometimes I feel saved too. But my salvation is not based upon my feelings. It's not based upon a song. It's based upon scripture, on recorded fact. And this, is, although this is the Bible, it's also a historical book. And we have history recorded that there, is a, that there is a resurrection because of our salvation. But not just because of our salvation that we see here in the gospel, but also according to the scriptures. As, he, as Paul's talking about this resurrection, he's saying, in verse number, at the end of verse number three, according to the scriptures, at the end of verse number four, according to the scriptures. You see that there was proof that this is exactly what was foretold. This was what the prophecy was, that the Messiah would come uh, well as a humble, as a humble, so he'd come in on a donkey. On the cult of an ass, the Bible says, this is not somebody coming in, uh, bringing in a revolution to overthrow Rome, no, this was a, a kingdom of God that was being brought in. And there was a there was a, a, a prophecy in the Old Testament that that's the way that he would come according to the scriptures and that the resurrection is true because of not just because of our salvation, but because of the scriptures. We also see that Paul speaking to this church in Corinth, he gives them many people that they can go ask and say, if you don't believe me, go ask them. He says, talking about seeing a resurrected Christ, verse number five, and that he was seen of Cephas, talking about Peter, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of about 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are falling asleep. So Paul's saying, listen, there's a whole bunch of people that saw this. If you don't believe me, go ask them. They're still alive. You can ask them. If Paul was, if Paul was trying to mislead, if Paul was a charlatan, if, if Paul was lying to them, he wouldn't say that. He wouldn't say, go ask the people that are still alive, they can tell you themselves. But because Paul was telling the truth, he could say, if you don't believe me, go ask them. There's other people that have seen this. And there was witnesses of Peter and of the apostles and of even 500 brethren. And then he goes on to say, and after that, he was seen of James. And once again, this is another example. If you read the, if you read the Gospels, James was against Jesus. This is talking about James, the brother of Jesus. He wasn't a follower of Jesus during his, during his earthly ministry. It wasn't until the resurrection that James said, oh, this is truly the Son of God. So once again, you have another uh, piece of evidence of people that their entire life changed because of the resurrection, and and James is another one. But he goes on to say, and of all the apostles, in verse number eight, and last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. And so Paul is saying, and, and listen, I've seen him myself. On that road to Damascus, as he was going to persecute the church, and he had a vision of Jesus Christ, he saw him as well. Peter's saying, listen, if you want to know if the resurrection is true or not, I can tell you it's true because of the gospel, because of the scriptures and because of the witnesses. But not just that, but Paul goes on to say in this chapter, he talks about not just are the de- dead raised. And you have to understand, like Corinth was a Greek city. This was a, a, a society that, that they didn't believe in resurrection. They, that they, that they thought it was silly. Like they just thought when you die, you die. And that was the end of your life. And a matter of fact, whenever the Bible talks about uh, Paul going to, uh, to uh, Mars Hill, that they laughed, they scoffed at him because he said that there was a resurrection. These people didn't believe in the resurrection. So Paul was trying to educate them through the scripture that there is a resurrection and that the dead are raised. But also he talks about, you know, when are the dead going to be raised? Not just, not just are, are they raised, or the dead raised from the dead? But when is that going to happen? And Paul gives some examples. He, he, in verses 20 and 23, he talks about first fruits. He says in verse number 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that are slept. In verse number 23, but every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ that is coming. So Paul is now talking about when's this going to happen? The people in this church are saying, Paul, is the resurrection true? Yeah, of course it's true. I'll give you some evidence. Well, when is it going to happen, Paul? And Paul says, well, let me give you some examples. First of all, I'll give you an example of first fruits. Now, what was the first fruits? There was a, um, a celebration, an offering of the first fruits. And this is this time of year, actually, in the fall, they would, they would gather the first, the first fruits of their harvest and they would give those to God. They would p- put them before God and they would hold them up and they would wave them up to God as a thanksgiving offering called the first fruits. But they didn't do all the harvest that way. They just did the first one that way. And what that was signaling is there's more to come. I've got this first fruit that I'm going to take and I'm going to lift it up and I'm going to thank God for this harvest because guess what? There's more on the way. This is just the first fruits. This is the very first taste. And what Paul is saying is, yes, the resurrection is coming and Jesus Christ is our first fruit. He's that signal that there's more on the way, that this isn't the end of the harvest. There's going to be more that will be harvested through throughout time. And so he talks about this... this uh, this first fruits in verse number 23. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. So now he's talking about the timing of when this will happen. In in your order. When are you going to be raised from the dead? Whenever God says you're going to be raised from the dead. Yeah. That's whenever it will happen, according to your according to his order, Christ first and all those that, that believe in him. So there's this, when is it going to happen? There's this thought of the first verse, but not just that. Uh, Paul gives another kind of illustration. He talks about Adam in verses 21 through 22. He says, uh, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So he's given another example. When is this going to happen, uh, Paul? Okay, it's kind of like Adam. You know, at the first man came, and guess what? We were all cast into death, and all, all into sin because of the actions of one man, Adam. And just by, just by one man brought death, one man will bring a resurrection from the dead. That's Jesus Christ. And so you can have a resurrection because of the first fruits and because of Adam and because of Jesus Christ. But also he talks about in verses 24 through 28, he talks about the kingdom. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he that put all things under his feet, but when he has said all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted which did put all things under him. So now Paul is talking about this kingdom. He's saying, listen, the resurrection will happen in time. It, Jesus was the first fruits. There's many more to come. Just as Adam brought in death, Christ brought in resurrection. But also there's a kingdom. There's a kingdom that has to, that has to be uh, set up. There's a kingdom that has to be put upon this earth that Christ will rule and reign. And so this resurrection will happen in due time according to God's will, according to his order. But not just when are the first fruits or when, when will the resurrection take place. But also, what is the meaning of resurrection? What's the meaning of this resurrection? Why, why did God decide to do it this way? In his, in his providence, in his knowledge and His wisdom, why did God do things this way? Why the resurrection? First of all, the resurrection should inspire, motivate us to tell others about the gospel, that good news. In verse number 29, it says, what else shall they do which are baptized for the dead if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? What's Paul talking about? This kind of sounds strange. What is he talking about? Paul's saying, What's the point in us gathering together on Sunday to watch the dead be baptized? What what are we celebrating? They're still dead. If there is no resurrection, if the resurrection isn't true, if this is all just a fairy tale and there's no resurrection, why do we come and celebrate the dead? Well, we shouldn't. We should be celebrating those that are alive. And that's what baptism is. It's a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that whenever you are buried in likeness of his death and you're raised to walk us new newness of life, we're celebrating a new creature. We're celebrating a new Christian, a child of God. And so the resurrection should motivate us to see more people be saved and baptized. And so there's a, there's a, there's a motivation for us as Christians to tell other people about the good news. That there is life after this. That there is, that there is a day when God will set all things right He'll fix all those things that are broken in this world and fix all those things broken inside of me. And there's a day coming where we can celebrate that. And so Paul is saying here, you know, why, why should we why should we come and celebrate the dead if the dead rise not at all? You know, whenever we whenever we see a baptism and that's exciting and that should be something we should celebrate. There should be a, a there should be for us a moment of reflection that resurrection is true. The resurrection is real, that one day we will raise from the dead in a new glorified body and God will set all things right. And so there's a motivation for evangelism, but also why is there a meaning of resurrection in verses 30 through 32? Paul says, and why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I die daily if after the number of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus. What advantage is it if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we may die. So what's the other meaning or purpose of resurrection? Well, Paul is saying that it gives meaning to our suffering. It gives meaning to our suffering. Through the difficulties that we have in this life, the the difficult trials, the difficult days, the difficult, difficult situations we go through, it can give meaning to our life that we have a resurrection one day, that all things are working together for good. That we have a resurrection that we can look forward to. And Paul is saying here, listen, uh, you know, I, every day, he says in verse number 31, he's saying every day I have, to, I, have to re, I have to recommit myself to Christ. Every day it has to be, I have to die. Every day I have to be crucified. Every day I have to, I have to crucify the flesh and I have to live for Christ. And all that has meaning because of the resurrection one day. All the sacrifice that I'm making, Paul's speaking here. All the sacrifice that I'm making, being, being, uh, being in Ephesus, he even said he had to battle wild beast. And all the other things you've read about in other portions of Scripture where Paul talks about his shipwreck and the amount of times that he was stoned almost to the point of death and all the times he was beaten and all the times he was cast out of cities and all the times that he was uh, treated un- un- unkindly, Paul says it's okay because it all has meaning because one day there's a resurrection. And the resurrection gives our suffering meaning in this life. The things that we have to sacrifice and give up. And the truth is, you don't sacrifice anything for God. God's, not been, God's been nothing but good to you. You've not given up anything to live for God. You've been the recipient of many blessings because you've lived for God. So don't misunderstand that. But when we go through difficult times, the resurrection give those, gives those things meaning. It's going to matter. It's going to matter that I've given up some things in this life to see the life to come, to make an investment in the life to come. And so Paul says here that we have, we have a meaning in resurrection because of the suffering. But not just that, but in verses 33 through 34, he says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. This, uh, this phrase this, this is actually a very common phrase. You can find this recorded in a lot of Greek literature, the same phrase evil communications corrupt good manners and what it's talking about is this it's talking about if you your your conversation when the bible uses the word conversation it means your lifestyle right. that's what it's talking about when it talks about your say, the way that you go about living your life and what the bible is saying is an evil lifestyle will corrupt good manners uh you can you can you can be in church you can uh you can you can be a part of the body of christ you can even be baptized you can have all these things but if you have sin within your life If you have sin within your life, it will corrupt your good manners. Paul is talking about living a life separate from sin when he talks about evil communication. An evil lifestyle will corrupt good manners. And so Paul is saying the resurrection is a motivation for us to separate from sin, to not be deceived. He says in verse number three, be not deceived. Don't don't think that you can live however you want and it'll be fine. You'll get away with it. Don't think that you can live an evil life and it's not going to have an impact on other parts of your life. Because evil communication or evil communication corrupt good manners. Verse number 34, awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. And Paul is saying, because we're going to be resurrected one day, we should separate from sin. And Paul even goes on to say, not in in this particular passage, but in other passages. um, In the book of Romans, he says this. He says, I reckon myself dead to sin. I reckon myself dead to sin. Paul came to a point in his life where he said, uh, that part of me is dead. And I have to every day remind myself, every day, I reckon myself dead to sin. That that sin no longer has control over me. That sin can no longer uh, overpower me. If it does, it's not God's fault, it's my fault. And so Paul is saying this resurrection should be a motivation for us to awake to righteousness and sin not. Awake to doing good deeds, doing good things. Not only is there meaning when it comes to evangelism or suffering and separation from sin, but also at the end of this chapter, in verses 49 through the end of the chapter, it tells us about the victory over death. Verse number 49, And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, uh, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption or the corrupt uh, corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall we be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is of the law. But thanks be to God, which give us, a, give, us, give us I'm sorry. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, finally, he says here, uh, talking about motivations for resurrection, is because it gives us victory over death. That there's coming a day for those that are saved that our corruptible and our mortal body will be done away with. And we'll re- we will receive an incorruptible and immor- immor- immortal body that will not ever die. And we'll have victory over death. And that was purchased for us upon the cross by Jesus Christ. And Paul begins talking here in this in this chapter. He b- finishes up here. He, sa- he says in verse number 55, O death, where is thy sting? O death, where is thy sting? For the Christian, the sting of death has been taken away. There is no sting. Now, we may... We may uh, mourn and we may grieve when we lose those that we love but we don't mourn like those that have no hope we don't grieve like those that have no hope because that sting has been taken away that part of death's victory has been taken away we will still we will still um die physically as because what paul said here paul said uh verse number 50 he says brethren flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god He's saying that we these bodies we have because of the because of the price of sin, we have a corruptible and mortal body, and this cannot go to heaven. This doesn't work up there, and so we will receive a resurrected body, and that sting of death has been taken away. And I've told this. I've told the story before. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of uh, of flying stinging insects. I can pretty much deal with anything else. I don't mind dogs. I don't mind snakes. I don't mind. Uh, insects that, that don't fly and sting I pretty much deal with anything but if it's a wasp if it's a hornet if it's a if it's a, a bee if it, any anything like that um we, we're gonna have problems I don't really like those kind of animals and so uh whenever they come and they come around the house from time to time I'll go to the hardware store and when I go buy the, the 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 wasp killer I make sure I get the can because some cans say this and some cans, some cans don't. And I'm going to give you a pro tip here on fighting wasp, okay? Whenever you go to buy that can of wasp spray, you want that can that says, do not use around power lines. That's the can you want. That means it's good. <laughs> that means it's the good one. You're going to find other ones that will say, you know, don't spray in your eyes, don't drink it. And that's for like the normal person. But like, if you really want to kill them, you want that can that says do not use near power lines because that stream of that spray is so strong and so wide, electricity can actually flow back up through that stream and shock you while you're holding the can. So there is a danger there, but that means it's good. I mean, you're really going to hose them. I mean, you're gonna, they don't have a chance when you come at double, double fisting them. Because I, I get two cans, I'm double fisting those jokes, going both sides, just taking them out. Okay. Now, why why do I go to that extreme? I don't like to get stung. That's why. So I'll spend twenty five dollars to buy some stupid wasp spray right? because I don't want to get stung by a wasp. Here, here's what Paul was saying: that that Jesus came and He took that sting and He took it away. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing to worry about. And we may go through the valley of the shadow of death, but you don't go through the valley of death. You just go through the shadow. You, just get, you, just, you don't have that sting that's been taken away. And so we have victory over death because of, what, because of what Christ has purchased for us on our behalf, that that death no longer has sting, that that grave no longer has victory, that that grave is not the end. That that grave is not the end. Uh, my, uh, you know, you, As many of you are aware, uh, it's coming up on two years now. My brother passed away, and I we went back there recently and got to go uh, got to the graveyard. And there's so many of our friends um, that are out there, but that's not the end. That's right. I'm going to see my brother again one day. We're going to see our loved ones again one day because death did not get the victory. Gra- the grave did not get the victory. Christ got the victory. Yeah. And Paul is, Paul is encouraging this church in Corinth. He's saying, Listen, you can have, you can have a joy, you can overcome suffering, you can overcome sin, because we have a resurrection one day. And the same power, Paul says in the book of Romans, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that will raise you from the dead. Right. If it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. Amen? And so we have this, this promise that we have a victory over death. And then in, in verses 35-48, through 48, uh, Paul, Paul describes how we're going to be raised from the dead. How is this going to work if we're, if we're corruptible and, we, and we're mortal? How do we put on incorruption? How do we put on immortality? And so Paul gives us kind of some examples of how that will work in verses 35 through 48. The Bible says, but some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? So how is this going to work? And then verse 36, thou fool, thou which, um, thou, which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. So Paul begins with an il- illustration or example of like seeds when you go out to plant seeds. There's some things that are, you know, that are common that are, that are the same whenever you sow seeds as those that are buried. So what is Paul saying is you can't, you can't take, like if you wanna go grow um, some pumpkins, right? You wanna grow, you can't just take uh, pumpkin seeds and put them on your shelf and grow pumpkins. You can't do that, it doesn't work like that. You gotta take those pumpkin seeds and you gotta put them in the ground and they have to germinate they actually have to die yes. those seeds have to suffer death and then when they suffer death they come they they, they they then can spring forth and they can begin to grow and so paul is saying the resurrection is kind of like seeds here's something else that's different like if you were to uh, get a pumpkin and you were going to go grow a pumpkin uh, you take a look at that seed it did not look like a pumpkin yeah. it did not look like a tiny pumpkin <laughs> right. it looks like a seed you had no you had no idea Unless you were were very familiar with seeds and and, 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 and gardening, you'd have no idea if you saw a bunch of seeds what they would produce by looking at them. What I'm saying is, we we have no idea what we're going to look like in eternity. But it's not going to be like this. This is the seed. This is the old pod that has to die. And there's something better coming. I mean, uh, uh, I think sometimes Jess, she'll have some bulbs, some tulips, and if you see those tulips, those bulbs, like tor- they look terrible. They look like, uh, uh, like dried up onions. Yeah. is what they look like. But whenever you plant them in the ground and they grow up, they don't look like that anymore. They look beautiful. They're, 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 the colors, the smells, they're ma- it's amazing the difference between what a seed is and what it produces. And what Paul is saying is, listen, you're nothing like what you're going to be. You're like a seed that's going to get planted. When it comes up, it's going to be completely different the seeds are the same but different and that's what your resurrected body will be like it'll be the same but it's going to be different it's going to be different not just does he he, he talk about the seeds uh uh these seeds but he talks about there's going to be great this well whenever you plant a pumpkin uh whenever you plant a pumpkin seed how many pumpkin seeds do you get back you get a lot you get a lot. And so there again, Paul is using this illustration, this, this example that, uh, that we're going to be, we're going to be buried. Yes. Um, uh, we'll be separated from this mortal body for a short period of time, but we we'll, whenever we're, whenever we are raised immortal with that incorruptible body that we're going to just like the seeds, when they grow, it's going to be different. It's going to be better. It's going to be beautiful, but he doesn't just compare it to seeds. He compares it to, uh, flesh human beings. Uh, verse 38, but God give, giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and every seed its own body. Verse 39, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another kind of beasts, another of fishes, another of birds. So here again, Paul is trying to make a distinction. He's saying, look, we don't think it's, it's totally crazy that you can have different types of animals. We have fish, we have birds, we have mammals, we have reptiles, we have, we have amphibians. There's nothing uncommon. That's, that's nature itself. And that's just the way that heaven will be. There will be a different type of flesh, one that we don't know about right now, one that only Jesus Christ has right now that we're aware of. But there'll be another type of flesh that we don't know about that will be introduced to us when we come to heaven. And, and, and Paul is saying, just like you have multiple types of flesh now, different types of animals, different types of beings, it'll be that way in heaven. This, isn't, uh, this shouldn't shock us. This shouldn't be so totally crazy we can't understand it. It's exactly how the world works today. There's going to be a different type of flesh that we don't have today like all these other animals. And then Paul goes on to describe it not just as comparing it to seeds or comparing it to different types of animals on this earth, but then he begins to compare it to even to heavenly bodies, talking about the stars and the moon and the sun in verses 40 and 41. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the, of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. And so now Paul is saying that the resurrection is compared, this, this new body will be, we, we will receive is just similar to the way that we have bodies down here on this earth and we have heavenly bodies and they each have their own purpose and they each have their own uh, uh, design. They each have a different unique uh, use for them. Uh, so for example in, in the stars in the sky at night men would use those to navigate they could help get you back on course you would find your north star and even today many times you talk about people finding their north star their purpose in life and so we have these heavenly bodies that are used for that purpose the sun is used to give us light to give us energy to grow the plants to give to give us a uh, to give us power the sun is there the moon is there at night for the tides of the oceans they all have a purpose and a and a, and a, and a and a meaning for them and paul is saying that in our And our glorified bodies will also have a purpose. That there'll be a a use for them. that That there'll be a work to do that God has for us for those heavenly bodies. And bodies are each prepared for their position. For the position that they'll be in. And can I tell you that God is preparing a place in glory for us that Jesus talked about in John chapter number 14. And that in my Father's house are many mansions. And he goes to prepare a place for us. And he's going to receive us unto himself. And he'll give us not just a a heavenly place to stay, but an immortal, incorruptible body to have. And we'll have a purpose and a meaning. But God also has another place prepared. It's a place called hell. And it's for those people that do not receive and stand in the gospel. They stand in some words they said during a prayer. And there are many people that have made that mistake. They think because they came down to an altar and they said some words. And they prayed a prayer that that's what their salvation is. And the truth is, what they have is they have put their faith in a prayer. Because when you ask them, are you saved? They'll say, well, I prayed a prayer. And your salvation is not based upon a prayer that you pray. It's based upon the person you put your faith in, Jesus Christ. And so for those people that are saved, there's there's a glorified body. There's a heavenly place. But for those that have rejected Christ, or they've been deceived... There's another place that God has prepared for them as well, that's right. and there's a there's a body prepared for those people, and there's a use prepared for those people, but that's not God's desire, or God's will. Is if people in in this in this in this uh, in this chapter, people are questioning: Is this even real? Is this true? Is the resurrection a reality, or is it just a fairy tale? And Paul goes back to them with the scripture, with the facts, and he tells them that that Christ is our first fruit and that uh, the resurrection is, is to come and that God has a plan and that God has an incorruptible body prepared for all those people. And so whenever we have doubts, our doubts should not be settled based upon our feelings. Amen. Our doubts should be settled upon the word of God. And here again, going back to our, 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 our illustration of someone that's struggling with their salvation, they're to say, well, uh, you know, am I saved? And we'll ask them questions like, well, did you mean it? Uh, you know, what, what did you say in the prayer that you prayed? All these things, none of those things will save anybody. This is what will save someone. Have they put their faith in Jesus Christ and what he did upon the cross for us? That is salvation. The death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is true, genuine salvation. And for those that are saved, that are standing in the gospel, there's a resurrection. As sure as you and I are sitting here right now. As real as this moment is, as much as we can know anything, as real as this reality is right now, there's another one coming. But it will be incorruptible. It will be immortal. It will be for eternity. And it will be perfect. Amen. And that's the promise that we have in the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's uh, be closing in a word of prayer and get ready for the next service to come. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time you've given us to open your word. We thank you for these promises of the resurrection. But Lord, this isn't the end. That, Lord, we have uh, another life where, Lord, there's not pain, there's not sin, there's not anger, there's not division. Lord, there's just you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live worthy of this blessing that you've given us of resurrection. Lord, that we would be concerned about the souls of others, that we would endure suffering, that we would, Lord, separate ourselves from sin. Lord, I pray that you would uh, help us as we open your word each day to continue to become more like Christ as much as we can in this life based upon the promise that we will be like him one day. We do pray for the service to come. You'd be with our pastor, that you'd use him, be with the special singing. Lord, help us to worship you in spirit and truth today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.